This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, let's get right into it. James chapter 2, and look with me in verse number 18. The Bible says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith. It's easy to say, Yes, I've got faith. You ask the average Christian, Are you a man of faith? Are you a woman of faith? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I believe in faith. But uh, there's there's a big difference uh, in people who say they have faith and people who live out their faith. And so the scripture says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. The scripture says, Show me thy faith without works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God? Do you believe that there's one God? Well, the world is filled with people who believe in the uh, duality of, of God. They believe in more than one God. They, they believe that there are many gods. And if the truth be known, people serve many different types of gods. The Bible teaches us we can only serve one God, one master. But yet I'm surprised by the amounts of people who call themselves believers, who in fact, they won't admit this, but you see it by their lifestyle, who serve many other gods. Now the scripture says this, thou believest that there is one God. If you believe that there is one God, then the scripture says, then thou doest well. But look at this statement very carefully. The devils also believe and tremble. Now, that's a powerful verse. You say you have faith? You say you believe in one God? Listen. Well, the devil believes in one God. Now, the devil may do everything he possibly can to make people think that there are other gods. And, and in fact, the, the Bible teaches us that Satan is the prince and the power of this air, this world that we live in right now. But he knows the truth. He knows that there is only one God. He knows that. He knows him not only by intellect, but the devil knows that there is only one God from the very beginning that the day he was created. You see, the devil has not always been. The devil is a created being. The word of God teaches us that. In fact, he was created as the most beautiful angel of all. And the devil knows not just by intellect, he knows by personal firsthand experience that there is only one God. He knows God very well. The devil knows God better than you and I know him. He was with God in the beginning that he was created. Now look at this again. The devils also believe and tremble. Now this is a powerful spiritual truth here and I hope you get it in the teaching tonight. I left off last Wednesday night with this thought that the devil or the demons of hell have never argued or debated if there was a God or not. They have known this since the time that they were in heaven. When the devil was created in heaven, you remember that the angels were, are also created beings. And Satan in his revolt, he led, according to the word of God, a third 
one-third of heaven's angels. He led them astray. They followed him in the rebellion. They're called fallen angels. They're demon spirits. And you better believe that the devil's real, and you better believe that there are real demon spirits among us. Not too long ago, I encountered them personally. Several men of our church, we got together and we had to deal with this as, as leadership of our church and we had to confront demon spirits. Three other men in the church were with me. They, they manifested themselves. Now here's the thing. You better believe the devil's real. You better believe in demon spirits. They're all around us. They have never debated if there was a God or not. They know God very well. In fact, the devil believes in God so much. Do you remember that during the times of the affliction of Job, who was counted as one of the most righteous people, the, the most righteous person that had ever walked on the earth, who eschewed evil? Do you remember that? Well, you also, if you remember Job, you also remember the story how that he was afflicted in so many ways. He lost everything he had. He lost his children. He, he lost everything, all of his possessions. The devil had to get God's permission. This is how well he knows God. He had to get God's permission to afflict Job. And God told him, you can do anything to him, but you cannot take his life because the goal and the, de the desire of Satan was to afflict Job in such a way. The devil said to God, if you let me have him, he said, I will get him to curse your name. Now, how many times a day do you have to work with people that take the name of God in vain, who blaspheme God, who curse God? Some people cannot carry on a sentence without using some type of profanity. And you know people, I know people who have taken God's name in vain in the course of conversation, multiple times in the space of five minutes. Satan said, I will get Job to curse your name. So listen, every time you hear somebody take God's name in vain, they're not moved by the Spirit of God to do this. The devil said, I will get Job to curse your name. The cursing of God's name is manipulated by the devil. God forbid that we have anybody in the Buford Road community that in acts of frustration and whatever bad circumstances come your way would take God's name in vain. Listen, if, if the devil thought he could get Job to curse the name of God, you mark it down, he will put your name on his list and he will do everything he can possibly do to get you to blaspheme and curse the name of God. If you do that, God forbid and God have mercy on you because that's of the devil. And he tried to manipulate Job to do it. God said, you can do anything you want to, but you cannot kill him. He will not curse my name. And you know what Job said so triumphantly. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Blessed be the name of the Lord and all of his affliction. Can you do that when bad things come your way? Now look at this. The devil and the demons not only believe, 
but they also know what's going to happen to them in the end of time. And this is what I wanted to share with you last week and time ran out and I want you to see it with me right now. I want you to see how much the devil and the demons of hell believe in God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 8. And while you're turning, I want you to look for verse 28 and 29. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 28 and verse number 29. And this is the story where Jesus cast out the demons of the man who was possessed by the demons of Kedera. I've been to Kedera many, many times. And uh, this, this, is, uh, this is a place where you, you can visualize uh, the, the demoniac and the demon activities that were going on in Kedera. You can just see it when you get there. But look at this. Most of you are familiar with this story. In Matthew chapter 8, verse number 28, and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding furious so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Notice this. This is very important. What they said after that statement. What are we talking about, preacher? We're talking about how well the devil knows God. How well the devil knows Jesus. Look at this. What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? In other words, they were saying, why are you here? Why are you here, Jesus? Notice this. Art thou come hither to torment us? Look at this very carefully. Before the time. Now, what time are they in reference to? They know God well enough. They know God so good that they know that because of their rebellion in heaven, when God kicked them out of heaven, they know that as a result of sin, they know that as the result of their transgression against Jehovah God, listen, they know what's lying ahead for them. They know what's to come. Let me show you something. Hold your place and turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, and I want you to see this passage of Scripture. What I'm teaching you tonight is how well the devil knows God. In Revelation chapter 20, I want you to know the, notice this in verse number 10. This will answer the question for you. The Bible says, and the devil that deceived them was cast, look at this, cast in the lake of fire. Now, the devil's not in the lake of fire right now. There's a lot of people that, who believe that the devil lives in hell. The devil does not live in hell. The devil is not in hell. The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his fallen angels. Hell was prepared for them, but not only them. Listen now, hell was created and prepared for the devil and his angels, but the word of God says hell enlarged itself. It enlarged itself not only for the devil and the demons who were going to be placed there for eternity, but for every person who rejected Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Listen, if you're listening tonight for the first time, or you're listening tonight after many times, let me tell you this, that there are only two places a person can go. It's either heaven or hell. 
I'm thankful tonight that we're not a church that preaches just love and, and uh, you know, just all of this warm and fuzzy stuff. Listen, let me tell you this, that there is a heaven, a real literal heaven, and that there is a real literal burning hell. I told you I felt like that there might be a preach coming on. There is a literal heaven and there is a literal hell. There is a literal God and there is a literal devil. There are literal holy angels and that there are literal uh, fallen angels as well. And a person can only go to one or the other. Listen carefully. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, but hell enlarged itself for every person who did not accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. That's not politically correct, but that's in the King James Bible. Somebody say amen. Now listen carefully. There's only one way to get to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be a wealthy man. You can be a poor man. You can be a politician. You can be an educator. You can be a businessman. You can work as a machinist. I don't care what you do, friend. There's only one way to get to heaven. There are not multiple ways. There are not multiple gods. There's only one. And the devil knows this God very well. He knows what his end will be. When those demoniacs of the Gadarenes in Kedera asked Jesus the question, why have you come to torment us before the time? What time? It's right here in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10. Notice this. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now that's going to be at the end. That's going to be after the great white throne. Now listen. You've you've got the judgment seat of Christ. You've got the seven years of tribulation. In between that, you've got the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus comes back at the the end of the seven-year tribulation. He comes back in the Revelation where he will rule and reign for a thousand years from the throne of David. It's after then where the great white throne takes place. And then he throws the devil and his demons in hell, you read it right here, Revelation 20, 10, forever and ever. So when the demoniacs in Kedera asked Jesus, they said, why are you here? Have you come to torment us before the time? What time? They know the time. They know at the end they're going to be cast into hell forever and ever. So that's what they were. They were speaking through this man, these, these two men who were demon-possessed, and they were saying, why are you here? Have you come to torment us before the time? Revelation 20.10. Now look at this. The point is this, that the devil and the demons believe that there is one God, and they know what lies ahead. They know what's coming for them. Now let's get back to verse number 19, and uh, let's look at this in James chapter 2, verse number 19, because I want you to understand something. We're talking about faith and works. It's easy for anyone else to say they believe. Keep in mind, even the devil says he believes. That's, That's not the incredible thing. 
To say you believe is not incredible because even the devil says that. But look at this. Because you see, they acknowledge that there is a God. But here's the thing, and I want you to get it. Listen to this spiritual truth tonight. Understand, learn something tonight. The belief that the devil has in God, the belief that the demons of hell have in God, listen, that belief did not change their heart. Are you with me? The devil believes in God, but his belief or their belief, the demons of hell, their belief, that particular kind of belief did not change their heart. You've got to stay with me here. In fact, I want you to see a passage of scripture in the book of Titus chapter 1. And verse number 16, would you turn your Bibles there? I hope you have your Bible tonight and I hope you're taking notes. I want you to look carefully at this passage of scripture, Titus chapter one and verse number 16. This scripture tonight should be a, a sounding alarm to everyone. And I hope that this spiritual truth is something that you're able to pass on to others. That's, that's why I want you to take notes. I want you to understand this. I'm gonna to try to speak on a very elementary, very simple level right now. This is something that you need to be able to communicate to others. Look at this, Titus chapter 1, verse number 16. They profess, and let me say, a lot of people profess to know God. A lot of people profess that they have faith. A lot of people profess to believe in God. But as I've already said, there's a big difference in profession and possession. Now, let me ask you, where do you line up in that? Do you just simply profess faith in Christ or do you actually possess it? Look at this. They profess that they know God. It's easy to say, oh yes, I believe in God. And people want to uh, insinuate that because they say, I have faith in God, that that makes everything good. That makes everything right. That establishes their Christianity. It does not. To simply say you believe in God does not make you a Christian. Absolutely not. And if that's how you've lived your life all of these years, friend, you're living a lie. You're not living in the truth. You're not living in the reality of the scriptures. Saying you believe in God does not make you a Christian. Look at this. They profess that they know God. We're talking about the difference between faith and works. But in works... They deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every work reprobate. Now, what does the word reprobate mean? It means an unbeliever. Now, notice with me in verse 20, James chapter 2, verse 20. But will thou, O vain man, that faith, notice this, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith, look at this carefully, read it with me, faith without works, underline that word without in your Bible, faith without works is dead. And I want to say something about 
this verse that's very extremely serious. And so I hope by now I have your undivided attention. I hope you're not running to the refrigerator. I hope you're not scrolling through your Facebook. I hope you're not doing anything that's distracting you. I hope right now in this Bible study that I have your undivided attention because I want to teach you something very serious right here. What is dead faith? Look at this verse again. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Look at this. What is dead faith? Very simply put, dead faith is phony faith. Dead faith is a false faith. Phony faith is not real faith. Now, I hope by now I've got your attention. Let me give you two scriptures to reinforce what I'm saying. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. This is where it gets a little deep, a little serious. This is where your attention ought to perk up. This is where you ought to be sitting on the edge of your seat with your Bible taking notes. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now listen, you can say you can believe in God and not be in Christ. Again, saying you believe in God does not make you a Christian. Saying that you believe in God does not make you saved. You can say that you are a person of faith, but listen, that does not make you in Christ. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. What does it mean to be in Christ? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, look at this. He is a new creature. What has changed in your life since the day you said you believe? Since the day that you said you were a person of faith, what has changed in your life that has separated you from the old way of life, from the old man? What is it in your life that's new? Oh, well, I don't cuss as much, preacher. I, I, I don't go as often as I used to go to places I shouldn't go. Listen, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Not visited from some time or another. Passed away. The motivation as well. Behold, all things become new. Now, I want you to see another verse, and Paul's talking about believers here as well in Romans chapter 6, verse number 4. I love to be able to go to these different passages of Scripture because it just reinforces what we're talking about. And Paul made it very clear in Romans chapter 6, verse number 4. He said, therefore, we are buried with him in baptism. Have you ever taken time to notice what takes place when we baptize here in the church? And we have a new convert that's standing in the baptismal waters. We have somebody that wants to rededicate their life to the Lord. And a person is standing here with me, and I'm taking them by the hand. They're holding my wrist. And as they're holding my hand, I place my hand upon their back, and I begin to say something like this. In obedience and command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that's exactly what he told us to do. After we had received him as our personal Savior, the very next step for a believer, and if you have never been scripturally baptized, immersed in the water, 
then you've not been scripturally baptized. If all you've been is sprinkled, let me say this, that sprinkling nowhere is taught in the scriptures. You can look the scriptures over from Genesis to Revelation and the formality of sprinkling is not there. Even Philip, when he was witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, after he gloriously received the word, the Bible says the eunuch said to him, what doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip says, absolutely nothing. You have now given your heart to the Lord. Come on down in here to the water. And the Bible says, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, sprinkling is never taught in the scriptures. And if that's all you've been, you have been baptized wrong. You have not been scripturally baptized. And Jesus commanded us to follow him in believer's baptism. And he set the example himself when he allowed John the Baptist to baptize him in the river Jordan. Now look at this very carefully. Paul is saying, therefore, we are buried with him in baptism. So this is what happens when I baptize somebody in obedience and command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a command. Because you've trusted him as your personal Savior, you see, you have to be born again before you're baptized. If somebody says, well, and I've asked people this many times, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? And they will say to me, I cannot tell you how many times, hundreds and hundreds of times people have told me this through the years. Well, I was baptized when I was 12 or I was baptized when I was five. Listen carefully. If you were baptized when you were 12 and you were baptized when you were five, but you cannot recall a time when you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you invited him to be your savior. Listen, you can get baptized until you have Brigham waters and it will not save you. Baptism doesn't save anybody. You have to be born again. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. Somebody say amen. That's good preaching. I told you I felt like a preach was coming on. So listen carefully. You have to be born again. And this is what I say. In obedience and command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and because you have trusted him as your personal Savior, I baptize you, my brother or sister, in the likeness of his death. And then that's when I put them under the water. That's a, that's a symbolic meaning of being buried I baptize you, my brother, my sister, in the likeness of his death. And then when we come up out of the water and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And so you look at this. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in death. And notice this, that as Christ was raised from the dead, when, when I raised the person up out of the water, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so now also, look at this, we should walk in the newness of life. So when a person has been baptized in the water, we have baptized them, we have buried them. And then when they come up out of the water, they are raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And listen carefully, this is where it all comes down to the meaning. If a person says that they have been saved, gloriously saved, and they have really meant that with all of their heart, and then we have followed the Lord in believers' baptism, the next thing that follows the word of God says is the newness of life. Now, let me ask you the question tonight. Has there been a newness of life with you? Are old things passed away? Have things really become new? Look at this. 
the newness of life. Now keep in mind, James is talking about dead faith. He's addressing believers, by the way, and he's talking about dead faith. You would be surprised at the number of people who believe that they are saved and who are truly not. That's a scary thought. They believe that they're saved, but they're truly not. In the closing part of the Bible study tonight, I want to remind you of one of the most scariest passages of all of the Bible. I preached a message several months ago, what I believe to be the most tragic word in the Bible. What I believe is the most tragic verse in the Bible is, I think it's found in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Those four letters, L-O-S-T, lost, I believe is the most tragic word in all of the Bible. You think about it. To be lost, not only in this world, but to be lost forever. To me, that's the most scariest word in all of the Bible. But what I believe to be the most scariest passage in all of the Bible, listen, the most scariest passage in all of the Bible is not the scripture about the Antichrist. It's not the scripture about the mark of the beast. It's not the scripture about the battle of the Armageddon. But the most scariest scripture in all of the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23. And I'm not going to have time to get through all of this passage tonight. And I look forward in speaking again on this subject to a live congregation next Wednesday night, Lord willing. But I want you to see the most scariest scripture in all of the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now you think about that. Not everyone. This world is filled with millions of false professions. Again, it's one thing to have a profession of faith and it's another thing to have a possession of faith. What do you have? because they're worlds apart. If all you have is a profession, that's accompanied with a lot of cheap words. And it's accompanied without a lot of detailed lifestyle. Look at this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That part of the verse ought to make people's hair stand up on their head. And it ought to make anybody take serious inventory, spiritual inventory of their life. Are you born again? Are you seriously saved, washed in the blood? Because if you are, there are things that accompany that. And if those things are missing in your life, listen, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice he, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Are you doing God's will? Well, well, well preacher, you, you know, I, I, I want to think that I am. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to cuss and, and I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying my best, you know, to cut back on my weed and, and, and I'm trying my best to, you know, um, um, say religious things. Listen, come on now. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.